0: Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard and welcome to another in our special editions of Radio Brews News recorded live at the recent Brewcon 19. Thanks to Bintani, we were able to take the Radio Brews News studio to Brewcon and capture a little of what was on offer to those who are lucky enough to get to the Australian Craft Brewing's annual conference and trade show. In this episode, we chat with Wyman Malt's Axel Yarney. Axel is an international consumer consultant for Wyman, but when we sat down to speak, I was intrigued that he was also a beer sommelier, something that I don't often associate with German beer. So I begin by asking a little bit about that and what follows is a wide-ranging chat about German beer culture, how it is facing the challenges of the hop-driven craft beer wave, naming conventions and whether Berliner Weiss is an appropriate name for a beer brewed anywhere other than Berlin and of course we talk about malt and the influence that malt and terroir can play in a beer. It's a great chat with a passionate character in the craft beer world and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Axel Yanni, welcome to Radio Brews News. Hi, hello. And uh, welcome to Brewcon 19. Uh, Is is this your first trip to Australia?
1: No, it's not my first trip to Australia, but it's my first Brewcon.
0: First Brewcon. And uh, what are your thoughts? I guess you've been to beer festivals around the world.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, my my job um, since, well, over 25 years is traveling around the world and uh, visiting uh, brewing conferences um, such as this one, but also the CBC as well, or, you know, the Brow.
0: I should comment that uh, you gave me your business card uh, just before we uh, sat down and uh, international customer consultant and beer sommelier, Mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. And straight away that that took me because we think of Germany having a very, very proud uh, brewing uh, tradition, but we haven't often thought of the you know what in America is called a cicerone uh, or a sommelier um, it, is that a formal qualification in Germany?
1: Well, strangely enough, I mean I am also a trained brewer and I'm a will be Berlin brewmaster, but that doesn't make it onto the business card nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a two weeks I'm course of the beer sommelier. So yeah, it doesn't say on, on the card that I'm a brewmaster. Um, but uh, yes, I mean that uh, the beer sommelier movement. It just did come along. I think with the craft scene that you want to express the variety of beers that are out there and um, it's good to be trained and also for me, um, traveling the world um, for Weiermann and i uh, I do get invited to be judged. Um, so I was here judging uh, the Indies and uh, I'm going around you know I was in Brazil judging um, uh, the Brazilian beer contest and obviously yeah, it helps to be formally trained to give an opinion
0: So, because but, but, uh, we associate a, uh, a wine sommelier um, as being somebody who can speak about regions and varietals and then offer food pairing mm-hmm. and it, it, is that part of the German uh, beer tradition because there, there are things like uh, Wieswurst and uh, uh, Hefeweizen um, oh. A, a classic pairing, but
1: indeed a classic one. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
0: but do, do, do you need a sommelier to sort of make that recommendation, or is it just something that is you default to on a Sunday morning uh, brunch? Uh,
1: yeah, well, I think it, it goes a bit beyond that—the uh, the, the vice versa and and, and wheat beer. Um, so, so yes, with with all the uh, varieties of beers out there, there's always beautiful food to pair it with, and uh, we, but we also uh, do, um, for example, a beer and bread pairing. You know, because of the diversity of the German bread, uh, goes very well uh, with beers too. Uh, so it doesn't have to be a full menu all the time, but you can quite nicely pair beer and bread styles.
0: Oh, wow. So, again, when, when as a casual uh, you know, Australian, well, up until recently, lager was in, in all of its many one form mm-hmm. um, was the, the beers that Australians drank. And so we didn't tend to think about it. And we would go to Germany and there would be um, most uh, pubs, what we call a pub, would have um, hefeweizens and maybe a Kristallweizen, um a, a dunkel, uh, a, a kolsch, or a, a pilsner or mm-hmm. a helles, um, and, and there would be a nice variety of beers and then there would often be a, a seasonal specialty. If it was Oktoberfest, there'd be a fest beer or there would be a various styles of beer. Are, are they the um, colours that you paint with as a, as a sommelier or have you got a wider, uh, Franconia um, where, where you're from, Bamberg, yeah. um, you've obviously got a, a much more interesting, uh, cause you've got the Rauk beers.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, but yeah, the palette would also be wider or increased by the availability of IPAs, or um you know, stouts and porters and such, but usually I mean, as you say in the in the pub in Germany, you're not expected to have twenty beer lines with all sorts of different ones, but you might have your local beer and a specialty one, but it changes a bit that there are bringing in um, you know beers like that are really. Perceived as craft, like an IPA, for example, and even the local breweries in Bamberg are now um, doing a dry-hopped lager, for example. So it does carry into the traditional uh, breweries as well. You know.
0: and, and how's the uptake of, uh, of the, how's the acceptance of that going amongst uh, some of the more traditional brewers? Because I was fortunate to to, to be at Oktoberfest in uh, 2016, and I, I got to go to Weinstaffen, mm-hmm. uh, for example. Um, and I got to go to yeah. um and, and, and visit then. I didn't get to, to Weiman then, oh, so I'll, I'll have to come back. Absolutely, a um, standing uh, invitation. <laughs> specifically. But it, when you spoke to some of the older brewmasters, they were a little bit dismissive of the, the hopping that craft beer was bringing. But I get the sense that there has been a fairly rapid opening of the mind to to some of those styles
1: yes but it's it's driven by young brewers as you say the old brewers are always you know raising their hand and saying wait a minute we've have been craft for 300 years You know, <laughs> well, especially in franconia where yeah. you still have uh, many small breweries um and and, and often uh, several in small you know several breweries in a small town so yeah they all consider themselves as craft uh, yet they are not as um I don't know. if It's not the right word, creative, but they may not be as brave as the young guys in saying, "Well, you know, away was the mertzen, and in with something uh, more flavorful or
0: something." Yeah. But of course, we've we've seen over the last twenty twenty five years. The, for example, the fest beer. Um, if if you went to uh, Oktoberfest mm-hmm. um, thirty years ago, the beer was much darker. Um, it was much more of the mertzen style than we're seeing now, which is a much paler beer. So brewers have been willing to um changed tradition uh to to, to some extent but we're now seeing um i've always felt that the resistance from some of the more traditional brewers was to the lack of balance that some of the craft beer styles had
1: yeah it's it's always you know that that drinkability aspect it's there they um, are being scared by two hoppy beers for example you know if it takes away that session aspect a lot of brewers are saying oh no this is not good for my sales i'd rather have a beer that uh, the customer is, is, is drinking plenty, you know, yeah. rather than in that academical way, you know. I mean, uh, I think in Germany, um, its uh, off-premise sales is, is craft, you know. So you do have these uh, craft beer stores where um, younger people meet and uh, really discuss the beers and only buy one bottle of that and <laughs> another one of that. So it's it's more of that. Um, uh, social aspect of trying beer together and, and uh, exploring new flavors.
0: Talk to me a little bit about the culture of drinking in Germany because you, you talked about sessionable, um, which in Australia is getting a little bit of a, a, a bad name because a session often ends up resulting in drunkenness and bad behavior and all of the, 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 the street problems. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the very um, classic... Uh, experience we have with um, our our perception of of Germany is that beer is consumed a lot more convivially without necessarily resulting in drunkenness or overt drunkenness and bad behavior. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair... uh,
1: I think it's still the way. I mean, when you look at Bamberg, um, you've got so many young people living there and yes we do have that open container walk around thing you know that's no problem to consume beer on the street or um stand
0: which, which you can't sit in a park in, in in australia and have a beer yeah um because of the the the, the, the laws
1: yes now it's like um for example i mean the, the the kettenbrücke in bamberg which is like the um that uh, bridge over the uh Um, channel there and you can see the sunset and there are people sitting with everybody's having a beer at the evening and uh, police goes by and it's all easy and um, yes, I think we are lucky that there is not that binge drinking uh, phenomena as somewhere else so I think it's maybe because of Drinking at an early age, you know, obviously, um, you have to. Oh, be don't sick say of that.
0: You're going to have every anti-alcohol campaign <laughs> sort of going that that's the worst thing you can do. But obviously, you do, you feel that it's demystifying.
1: Yes, exactly. I think, um, especially in Bavaria, I even you know I'm from the north of Germany originally, and um, when I moved to uh, Bavaria, I looked into that you know drinking law which is displayed in every pub, and it says, well, if you are with your parents. Kids are allowed to drink beer when they are 14, you know, in the pub legally. And that's only in Bavaria. Elsewhere, (laughs) you have to be 16 and you don't have to bring your parents into the pub anymore.
0: I was fascinated that in Germany, you can get your, you can drink at 16, um, but you can't drive till 18. Whereas it's the opposite here. You can drive at 16, and then once you've commanded a car, that's when they give you alcohol, mm-hmm. huh? and w- w- which seems or the German way seems a much smarter way of doing it.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Because then, if you have a, a few uh, mistakes in the beginning, at least you're not uh, being drunk <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, and, and yeah, so so you, you you get to make your mistakes um, before you are in charge of a of a car, and you can get your judgment around drinking. And drinking does involve a certain amount of judgment.
1: Yes, it does indeed, and and also, but as you say, if, if you don't mystify it or like you know that sensation of being drunk uh, as as the main goal of in consuming beer if that has been taken away and it's more like yes I want to have a social beer and a two um, that's a better way to start.
0: Now you you are from Weyman, um mm. famous uh, maltings uh, in Franconia in uh, Bamberg sorry of course yeah. sorry so in, in, in Bamberg um, and Tell tell us a little bit about the history of the, the maltings at uh, Weiman.
1: Well, I mean, this year, two thousand and nineteen, we've got our hundred and fortieth anniversary. So, um, on October third, uh, Johann Baptist in eighteen uh, no nine no eighteen seventy nine, he founded his company, and uh, uh, he started out as uh, um, roasting barley um, as a fake coffee you know it was um back in the days coffee was known but it was very expensive so as a as a cheaper alternative if you roast barley you can make something that does taste like coffee as we all know from <laughs> some porter recipes that there is coffee notes in it and then um he did this um for a few years and then he grew and um uh, he started his first uh, malt house in 1904 and since then we've been a uh, you know a malt house in Bamberg and um Together with the craft brewers' movement, Sabine and Thomas, the owner and fourth generation of the company, uh, continually to grow with the craft brewing scene, especially in America, uh, which is still our biggest market for, for specialty malts.
0: It, it, it's interesting that you say that because the craft beer movement was really kicked off by hops, um, and particularly those brash um pungent american hops Mm -hmm. that were very very distinct to to, to what went before and the focus really wasn't too much on the, the malt backbone of beers it had to be there um but there didn't seem to be much conversation around that but has has malt always been an important part of those craft beers do you think
1: oh yes indeed um it was, um, you know, when you start out as, as, as a, you know, hobby brewer, a small brewer with not a, a lot of budget, it is easier to produce an IPA uh, because, it, it, you know, the ale is fermenting quicker. It doesn't require all that technicality that a lager requires. And um, if you made a few mistakes during boiling and DMS is there or diacetyl in fermentation, you can cover up a lot with hop. And um, so I think that was the start of it. But we see internationally that there is that movement towards, uh, especially also in, in America, that you want to make flavorful lagers, you know. And um, so in recent years, or like the Kölsch uh, phenomena, you know, so many breweries are now you know, making beautiful Kölsch.
0: How are you finding, because I, I, there are a couple of breweries in Australia that were making a Kölsch mm-hmm. um, that seemed to be like a, it was a name that they could give to something that wasn't really... Kirsch like. Mm -hmm. So, as you travel around the world, are are brewers creating crimes against Kirsch or are Mm -hmm. they making good beers that are called Kirsch or are they making beers that a a cologne brewer would welcome and say, This is a beautiful Kirsch?
1: Yeah, yeah. it's For example, on on, on Sunday at the welcome night at uh, Colonial right? Mm-hmm. yeah, yep. beautiful, really nice. I mean, it's a, uh, it's it, it's it's a nice um, a Kölsch there. For example, I enjoyed that very much.
0: But is it a, is it a Kölsch or is it just a nice light um, aley lager type beer?
1: Um, to to be, I mean, first of all, as a German, uh, it's it's hard to uh, I, I could not call it Kölsch, Obviously, you know, in Germany, we cannot call a beer a be Kölsch. From? It has to be from from Cologne. So we would be in trouble. The same with Berliner Weisse. We cannot call it Berliner Weisse if it's not brewed in Germany. But this protection is only in Germany. So elsewhere, you can call your beer Kölsch. Um, but it's, it's, it's getting pretty close. I think if, if the wheat uh, ratio would be a little bit higher um, and a little bit more sparkliness, then we come to that uh, typical, yeah, fizzy is the wrong word, but it's that very light, um, high attenuated, uh, carbonated uh, Kölsch.
0: Yeah, and, and you raise an interesting point because champagne is protected, so it's Australian sparkling. Mm-hmm. Um, should brewers be a little bit more mindful of um, the appellation or the, the, the name that they give to beers when they sort of say a, um, a Munich, this is a Munich Dunkel? Mm, yeah. So isn't it a Melbourne Dunkel?
1: Yeah. I, it, it could be, you know, just by adding the word style behind it, it would take out that uh, discussion. You know, it's a Koch style beer, uh, or um, you know, a, a Munich style. Yeah. You know, but it's not me up to judge that. You know, and I, I also sometimes make these mistakes where I just say, "Oh, I, you know, drank a Berliner Weisse," and then they say, "Nope." It's not <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so strict about that.
0: <laughs> but we are starting to see those conversations, and is that something that um, when German brewers get together um, and, and they're not on microphone in in another country. Not wanting to upset anybody, that they should say, "I wish they would stop calling it Berliner Weiss in Australia and in in America."
1: Um, yeah, I've I've had heard these sentiments, especially from the ones <laughs> who are you know brewing there. I mean, in Berlin, yes, they are. You know, there are there's a great craft brewing scene in Berlin, and if they pride themselves of really bringing that back, I mean, when you think of it, it was only Berliner Kindle of the large industrial brewery who would still brew. Something that was similar to a Berliner Weisse, but it was certainly not scaring anybody off the acidity levels yeah. and everything was very uh, moderate. And then um, the craft brewers brought back all that, uh, you know, more interesting and more flavorful bread fermented um, uh, Berliner Weisse. And, yes, they are getting a bit thin, you know, when, when somebody says, I'm also making a Berliner," <laughs> No,
0: you're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just bringing it back to, to, to malt a little bit, we, we, we have seen um, hop growers, and, and particularly uh, the, the Bath House group in Australia, um, they've done a lot of breeding and they've created uh, hops like uh, Galaxy Hop, they've created, which is... a passion fruit expression and they've got things like fixed secret um we've seen the um the the yeast labs really work on on what they're developing how they can sort of add flavor and complexity Mm -hmm. and expression um to to beers what innovations are we seeing in in the malt space these days
1: yeah the malt is also doing that i mean um in 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 recent years um You have uh, seen uh, more heirloom varieties, you know, Maris Otter from the UK, or um, Weiermann brought back uh, Barke. Barke was uh, um, uh, an old variety that had excellent brewing properties, but it didn't have enough yield on the field. So it was pushed out by uh, more modern ones. But we know how it works with the, like, tomatoes. Grandma's tomato was really spicy and and, and tasteful, and now all these industrial uh, tomatoes are quite boring, you know, so. But
0: you can drop them from a meter and they don't break. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it might
1: be good for the industry, but not for the flavor. Uh, and, and, and we eat for flavor. Yeah. Exactly. So. So yes, it's the um the old varieties, and there's still a lot of ongoing um, research into that. I mean, you know, not necessarily does it mean just because it's an old seed somewhere found in a, in a barn in Canada <laughs> will become. A, great uh, brewing malt again, but it's it's a, it's a, a thing to look into. Also terroir, um, not only with the wine or with the hops, also with the climate where you grow, um, uh, barley makes a difference. So we have uh, um, uh, one growing region is in Italy. It's um, above Venice. It's Eraclea. It's a very small barley growing region, and it's right by the Mediterranean Sea. So if the combine is stuck in gear, it would drive right into the water <laughs> and um, that makes a really nice crisp um, uh, um, barley and yet it malts in the same way so for um, for some 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 crisp summer beers that era Claire malt is for example something that is quite unique in flavor
0: so, so you don't just grow uh German malt, or you frank, malt from Franconia or Bavaria nearby? Uh,
1: yes, we do. I mean, this is like what we pride ourselves in having local supply. But with that Eraclea, it was just an, uh, um, like a collaboration between the Italian growers. They grow it and then they bring it to Bamberg and we malt it uh, there. Uh, and a similar thing we do with the um, Bohemian line. Like, for example, you have uh, a barley varieties uh, that exclusively are grown in Bohemia. And they are then being uh, malted in one of our uh, three malt houses and available as the Bohemian range. Yeah, so, um, and then also we have, now I'm getting me started, <laughs> we also have a, a floor malting facility in the Czech Republic. That's something where you can go as a brewer and say, yes, if I want to do a genuine uh, Bohemian uh, Pilsner, malt, uh, Pilsner beer, um, you can use floor malt.
0: Is, is that a new... Not, not an innovation, but is that a new acquisition or have you always had a, a floor malting cap- uh No, it
1: was um, really um, Sabine and Thomas traveling to uh, Bohemia a few years ago and uh, seeing a brewery there, which is very successfully doing nice Pilsner beers. But they had this, I wouldn't say derelict, but uh, not used uh, a floor malting facility. And then we, we teamed up with them and since then we, we brought it back. And, and by now over 90% of the I check brewers are using floor malts
0: um, again. Talk to me a little bit about that because one of the things that we've we've, we've been told is maltsters moved away from that because brewers wanted a more consistent product, mm-hmm. and floor malting takes a lot more touch and feel, and it's a more art than science in some ways. Yes. Um, what make you know, isn't that still true that you know, floor malting isn't quite as consistent?
1: Um, Yeah, if you would look from that aspect, but on the other hand, the benefit of it is you've got so much more volatile aromas still in the kernel. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I think it was phased out because it's so labor intensive. I mean, when you look at a Saladin box, you can have loads of tons on a a very condensed room. Here you have um, our floor malting in uh, Bohemia doesn't have any artificial aeration or any artificial cooling. So we can only produce more there from end of September to maybe April. Um, So that is a limit nowadays. You wanna have a supply for all around the year. And then, but when you think of it, um, the depths of these um, uh, grains in the germination or on that concrete floor is only 20 centimeters and there's no air being pushed through the whole time. And that means a lot of these aromas are staying. You know, and uh, unfortunately we're here in radio and I can't you know, <laughs> compare this, but you can flavor it later when on. We need and, scratch and sniff yes, radio. exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but does that require the consumer's perception of beer to change a little bit and being willing to pay more because yeah. that malt costs more, but the experience is more and so you'll pay more? Yes,
1: exactly. It's it's along that line. I mean, if you, if you, if you don't... Um, you know you would not use that malt for an ipa for example you know it, it has to be in a delicate beer where you can really you know see and showcase that difference and uh, it's also you have to tell your customer as you say you know it's it's a storytelling as well um but it, it does work because i mean everywhere we see that you want to have a unique flavor to it may it be local you know or may it be some spicy malt or hop it's it's always that differentiation that,
0: that um, creates the interest and how did german brewers um feel about more expensive ingredients because uh, german brewers are arguably some of the most efficient in, in terms of price for the beer mm-hmm. um, but the best quality you know, the, the big brewers who are making um, beer very very efficiently and mm. very, very cheaply in terms of price are still making a a very very good product and that requires certain cost inputs how do they feel about people going towards much more expensive ingredients that are much less scalable
1: yeah i mean i think that is the the reason why um craft beer in germany is still not as big as elsewhere because there's that price gap you know as you know i mean the um, industrial beer um, ten liter of beer, like one case um you can get that easily for nine euros uh, and uh if you go to a craft beer store, you might get two bottles for them kind of nice, you <laughs> yeah. know? and this is uh, uh you, at the moment I think the the big difference you know where where like older people, like my parents they would say, why would I have to spend so much money on a beer?
0: Well, Germany has always had such great beer or, or across all of the regions, and it's been done very very efficiently has that Almost become a, 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 a trap for for brewers that they that the perception of beer at, at a certain price limits how experimental, how adventurous, how um, fulsome they they can mm. be with their.
1: Mm, yeah, could be. It's um, or it's like for them. Um, oh, how can I say? Maybe it's also education. It's like in the brewing industry, like oh, I. When I became a brewer, I was in a, in a large scale brewery, you know, 1 million hectoliter, in the late 80s. And we didn't learn anything about Belgian beers, you know, and even in university, it was just about how to make Pilsner and export and uh, maybe a beer, you know, as you said earlier. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it needs young people brewers to, to go and, and say, look, I want to try that. And I, I think in, in, in Franconia I do see that because it is a, a family business and uh, a lot of breweries around where the the uh, you know the son is now in that age where he says, you know, I'm a brewer now. <laughs> uh, and he says, yeah, I want to brew something different. Yeah.
0: And are you starting to see a, a generational change in attitudes to beer where in, in a very social media connected world, um, people who are coming into their drinking age now are seeing what's going on internationally and not wanting what Dad drank, but wanting what's cool overseas.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yes, I, I think that is the the beauty of the craft brewing industry. It it brought sexiness back into beer, you know, or, <laughs> or, or or yeah, maybe it's the wrong word, but it the was,
0: Justin Timberlake of uh, yes, exactly, <laughs> bringing yeah, the sexy yeah, exactly. back, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, um, j- just before uh, you-, you have to go, um, what's your favourite German beer style, personally?
1: Uh, Franconian amber-coloured Märzen.
0: Ah, so just describe the flavour of that. So, is, is Franconia is often associated with the smoky Rauch beer style?
1: Yeah, that that is predominantly in Bamberg and around Bamberg. So yep. Franconia um, is uh, they they have these. The tendency to have um, nice copper colors, for example. You know, I'm mean, um, speaking of just recently we have this development that red beers become quite favorable. It's uh, to brew um, a Franconian red or in Nuremberg a brewery came up just to to produce red beers, uh, red lagers. Um, it's, it seems to be like a trend at the moment, and we certainly also is that, that a, that a traditional style or is it a, a,
0: a modern style?
1: It is one of these styles that were there in the past, um, but have been rediscovered. So it's uh, it's what we see in the last two years. Really. Uh,
0: to talk to me about the flavour profile that we would expect of a bit. It's multi, obviously, being being red.
1: Yes, um, but, but here the emphasis is more on the colour, and yet um, you're holding back a bit on the caramel notes. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's quite drinkable because I find sometimes if it's too much caramel flavor in it, it's it's a bit stopping your your, your thirst on it. You know, it's too too sweet. Um, so so the um, the red beers, the red Franconians, can be quite high attenuated, and uh, so it's a it's a visual sensation. You know, okay. Without looking artificial.
0: You know. So it's almost a like a Vienna Lager um, style. Yeah. So, and, and that's a traditional beer style of uh, Franconia? Mm-hmm. There we go. We'll have to uh, go looking for that one. So you've been enjoying that. You, you do travel the world in your uh, ambassador role uh, for Viament. Yes, um, what's your favorite international craft beer style um, as you travel the world?
1: Well, the one that caught me by surprise three years ago is the uh, Catarina Sour. Um, if you go to Brazil, um, the state of uh, Santa Catarina, uh, the brewers there um, brewed Berliner Weisse style and paired them with at least one of the 600 available tropical fruits. And um, they did such a great job that since, I think, uh, turn of 18 to 19, it became an international beer style, the Katharina Sours. And it's just amazing.
0: I'll have to speak. Do you know Stephen Beaumont, who's out here as well? He was a, a judge in Chile recently, or he was a. Oh, okay, yeah. So um, I'll, I'll have to ask him about that. See if it's uh, been on his uh, radar. So, yes. how do um, German brewers feel about, quite apart from the naming, some of these styles being taken internationally and added on and built on and you know morphed and tweaked, um, but originating in Germany?
1: Well, I, I think um, we should all be uh, being in the, the brewing community. Uh, everybody is taking um, ideas and, and, and hints and styles around, and I think that's the diversity of it. And it's certainly not a way that you would say, "Oh no, this has only has to this only has to be brewed in Germany." <laughs> no, it's uh, I think it's a great movement to go, and that's the reason why collaboration brews are so nice. And to sort of you know get together internationally and and, and brew beers together. It's, that's the way it
0: should be um last question uh, but before i let you go what's next for vime what what what's what's on the uh, development board or what should we be uh, what, what should brewers who are listening uh, be looking out for f- from you in terms of the, the, the next developments
1: well um we've just uh i we believe that there's still a lot of uh, flavors to be discovered in uh roasting and caramelizing techniques We uh, do produce all of our caramel malts on roasting drums or in roasting drums. And uh, so research and development is going in that direction to have uh, more flavors coming. Uh, And uh, with some more terroir and uh, specialty malts, this will be pushed forward.
0: Wonderful. Well, uh, actually, Jan, thank you very much for joining us on uh, this conversation about beer. And thank you very much for being part of BrewCon 2019. Certainly my pleasure. And that was Axel Yarny. Our coverage of Brewcon 19 was made possible by Bintani, who are not only providing brewers with the finest ingredients, they gave us the opportunity to bring you the finest guests live. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at